0: Okay, we're in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. There's there's going to be some amens and some praise in this reading. There has to be, so get ready for it, won't you? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has given Him counsel? Who has ever given to God what God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 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 Not finished. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. And God always blesses his word. Amen.
1: Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very simple, AND MAY THIS BE A LIFE-CHANGING WORD AND A WORD THAT BRINGS GREAT HONOR AND GLORY TO YOUR NAME. I PRAY IN JESUS' NAME, AMEN. TODAY WE LOOK AT THE APPLICATION OF PAUL'S LETTER TO THE ROMANS. A GOOD SERMON WILL HAVE TEACHING AND THEN AN APPLICATION. THE FIRST 11 CHAPTERS OF ROMANS, TEACHING. But now, application. And so, when he says, I beseech you, therefore, it's in the light of the previous 11 chapters. Now, it's interesting, uh, there are three therefores in Romans. First, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. And now chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore. Now you need to understand. When he says by the mercy of God. It's a reminder. That these Roman Christians. To whom the epistle was addressed. Do not deserve. What has been given to them. What has been given. Well first. First. They've been justified by faith. That could not have happened except by the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize why you are a Christian? It is by the effectual calling of the Spirit. You can't take any credit for it. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, Whom He predestined, He called. You say, God predestines everybody. Sorry, that's not true. But those he predestines, he calls. Those he calls, he justifies. Those he justifies, he glorifies. So The good news is, as surely as you are justified, that means you've transferred the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, you will be glorified. Nothing can stop it. Some years ago, I was invited to a party where the lady wanted to have an, an anniversary party to commemorate 20 years of being a Christian. And she invited me, there were others. A man came up to me and said, uh, you are T. Kendall? Yes. You wrote the book, Once Saved, Always Saved? Yes. I don't agree with your book. I said, have you read it? No. <laughs> well, how do you know? He said, I don't believe it. Well, read it and find out. I don't believe it. Okay. He said, well, look. I'll give you one minute. Give me your best argument. 60 seconds. Hmm. I've got it. What is the possibility that you could be dislodged? What? No, that wasn't the way I put it. What's the possibility that Jesus could be dislodged from the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How secure is Jesus in the Godhead? He said, well, eternally secure. He couldn't be dislodged. I said, well, we are joint heirs with Jesus. And we are in Christ. And we are sons of God by adoption. We didn't ask to be adopted. He adopted us. He said, that's good. He walked away. But There are those who don't want to believe this. I've never understood why. It's the most glorious teaching in the world and to know that you cannot be lost. And when you're aware of this, what is your reaction? Some years ago, Louise and I were invited to attend an adoption legal ceremony where uh, this couple had taken a little baby into their home But it hadn't been legal yet. And they had to petition to the court to become the legal parents. And we watched. And the somber judge looked at that young couple and said, I have not yet signed my name to this document. Once I sign my name, your child will be yours forever. And no court in the land will overturn this verdict. You need to know this child could develop ill health and cost you everything as a teenager he may turn into drugs he's your child he's yours forever no matter how he turns out i haven't signed the document yet do you want me to <laughs> they said yes sign it it was a most moving moment but here's the thing we are adopted we're all in the family because before we were even born, or after we were born and we were chosen, we had nothing to do with it. And we are as secure in the family of God as Jesus himself is in the Godhead. And when you realize that, that he's given it to you by sheer grace, that's the point. In view of God's mercy, what is your response? And I want us to see three things. First, obligation. What we owe out of gratitude to God. I wonder if you realize this that the New Testament doctrine of sanctification could easily be called the doctrine of gratitude. It is what we do to say, Thank you, Lord. We don't live holy lives in order to get to heaven. God has already given us that. But we do it out of gratitude. And so I urge you, says Paul, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Now, why do you suppose he mentions body? Well, he goes on to say that we do it as living sacrifices. Now, you've got a picture, a sacrifice in the Old Testament. Uh, imagine the altar, about the third the size of this platform, four or five feet tall, and they would bring an animal, like a lamb, and it would be a dead sacrifice on the altar. Dead. Can't move. We are living sacrifices on the altar. We can move. And at will, we can scoot off Crawl off because we don't want to be living sacrifices. We are told, however, to be just that. Your body made up your eyes, what you watch, what you do with your hands, what you do with your feet, where you go, and other parts of your body. What does he mean then, your body? We're talking about basically two things under this category. First is holiness. Holiness, sanctification, words used interchangeably. Your body. He means sexual purity. See, this is something that needs to be taught. I fear there are places where it is not taught. Because Pastors, vicars, rectors, bishops. They're afraid people won't come back. And they just sweep this under the carpet. To present your bodies as living sacrifices. He's talking about sexual purity. When Gentiles were allowed in to the church. When it was basically a Jewish thing. It was reluctant that they let them in. But they did on the basis of keeping four particular things. One of them was sexual purity. No fornication. This is part of it. And according to Paul, that you offer your bodies, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, it's your spiritual act of worship. Do you realize this? How you live is your worship. You say, well, I worship God a while ago. go." you've just begun. How you live is your worship. And we're talking about any kind of sex outside of heterosexual marriage. We're living in a time I've never seen anything like it. I didn't know that in my lifetime I would see it. When now things that were abhorred even 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, now being accepted, And the worst thing of all is being accepted by people who want to call themselves evangelical. Affirming same-sex marriage. You know, I've almost come to the place that if you want to know what the Bible teaches, ask a liberal. They'll tell you. You see, this is why they rejected the Bible. A liberal will tell you. Of course the Bible teaches eternal punishment. Of course... The God of the Bible knows the future. And of course the Bible would be against same-sex marriage. We all know that. A liberal would know that. But you see, there are those who convince themselves that somehow that Jesus would condone all these things. It's an awful day in which we are living. If you want to know what the Bible teaches, read Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Romans 1, 26 and 27. you know it is so explicit, it's almost embarrassing to read it publicly. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, homosexual activity, he calls it that. Condemned. And I don't mean to be unfair, but it's equally true for heterosexuals. Sex outside marriage, premarital sex, it is not on. And if you think that you can live a life like that and at the same time say that you're showing gratitude to God, what you've done, you've crawled off the altar. You don't want to be a living sacrifice. Why sacrifice? It's because it's it's not easy. Nobody said it would be easy. I consider Joseph, young man, at the height of his sexual powers now Being sold into slavery in Egypt and is confronted by a fashionable officer's wife, Potiphar's wife, who says, go to bed with me. You know, he could have said, you know, it's not fair what's happened to me. My brother sold me here. She's not going to tell her husband. Nobody back in Canaan will know. And I'm lonely. And this isn't right. You know, most people I know that avoid any kind of sexual activity like this do it because they think they might get caught. That's why they don't. Joseph said, but God knows. God knows. It wasn't easy for him, but he said no. And the angels said, yes. You see, nobody said it would be easy. It's an act of the will. You're a living sacrifice. You do this as an act of worship. And so we're talking about doing that which goes against what you feel. So we're talking about holiness, but also health. (laughs) That means self-control over your body, even when it comes to your health. Are you aware that the body you have is the only body you'll ever have. And you're a steward of that body. And you're responsible for good health. That means you watch what you eat. Beware of too much Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> or too much wine. Your body is a temple Of the Holy Spirit. It's your act of worship. And it means discipline because your body is the only one you'll ever have. You see, being a living sacrifice means that you recognize God Almighty is to be worshiped. And anything that gets between you and God is an idol. And it will divert you from Christ. For some of you, I fear, your God is football. You live for that. You can't wait to get home. You get to watch it this afternoon. We're in the middle of the World Cup. By the way, KT has something in common with the World Cup. You know what it is? There are 30 nations in the World Cup. And I think we could come up with 30 nations here today. I think we could. Fortunately, no Nigerians, <laughs> and no Ghanans, and no Welsh, no Chinese. Oh dear. But another thing about being a living sacrifice, later on Paul will talk about weeping with those that weep. When you take the time to care, and so this very week at Grenfell, 72 seconds of quiet to remember those who died. And the Bishop of Kensington prayed, May God grant that it will never happen to anybody like this again. Sacrifice, you take time to care about those. You say, well it didn't happen to me, but be thankful that it didn't. All right. Obligation. It's a way of saying thank you, God. I don't deserve that you, that you saved me. I don't deserve it. But the one thing I do, obligation, is to show gratitude. Second, opportunity. Now, here is something that comes as a fringe benefit of being a Christian. It says, Paul, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. In a word, that God will give you wisdom. What a fringe benefit of being a Christian. God will give you wisdom. You see, has nothing to do with your IQ, has nothing to do with education, but it is knowing what to do next. And when you get God's wisdom. You won't mess up. Another way of understanding God's wisdom, it means God's opinion. Are you aware that God has an opinion on everything? He does. He's got an opinion on everything. And wonderful if we can get His opinion. The trouble is, we don't want His opinion. It might go against what we want to do. But I have to tell you, Wisdom is promised. It is promised. And in Proverbs chapter 4, here's what Solomon says. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom, wisdom. Knowing the next thing to do. Saying the right thing at the right time. You won't mess up. You will have 20, 20, foresight vision. We all have 2020 hindsight. We can say, oh, if I only had known, I wouldn't have done this. But when you get wisdom, you have 20-20 foresight vision. You won't mess up. Do not forsake wisdom. Love her. She will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get it. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her. She will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head. Present you with a crown of splendor. That's what's promised. By the renewal of your mind. And by the way, are you aware? Because Paul comes back to this now. Your mind is the most important sex organ that you've got. This is why we talk about the eyes. Jesus said if you lust... John talks about the lust of the eyes. I dare say there's someone here, maybe more than one. You are addicted to pornography. It will destroy you, it will destroy your marriage. And statistics have now shown that teenagers addicted to, to pornography prefer it to the real thing. And when they get married, they lose the desire. The the damning effect of it. But as a Christian, you don't go there. Your eyes, your body, your mind, the seed of understanding, the seed of knowledge, because the gospel was given to you. Paul talks about that form of teaching. It begins with your mind, but it must go to the heart. You see, the reason you have people that make professions of faith, but you don't see them... Two weeks later or two years later, it never gets past the mind. There are those that will make a profession. I suppose they've happened here. you make a prayer. The heart must be engaged. This is why Paul said, you confess with your mouth. That means to show that you're not ashamed, but believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. So, wisdom... An opportunity to show the greatest knowledge of all. All right. Obligation. Opportunity. But before I close. Objectivity. What's that? That's when you stand back and come to terms with the way God has made you, formed you. Objectivity. Verse 3. For Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You see, it means admit what your gifting is and don't go outside your anointing. Live within your anointing. You go outside of it, you struggle. Live within it. You say, you know, I, I'm not getting to do what I want to do. This is why Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought." The natural thing for all of us is to think of ourselves more highly than we should. And I find this challenging. There are so many times I think, Lord, I wish I could be so-and-so. I wish I could do that. And God says, sorry, you're right where you are. Because that's where I put you. Think soberly. Or when you consider the body of Christ. We're made up of various parts. The body uh, is made up of one part. but Not of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Oh, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12. You see, some of you are the hands. Some of you are the eyes. Some the head, those in charge, some have high profile. And there are those who want high profile. They want to be noticed. But what if God says, sorry about this, but you're the small intestines. You're the pancreas. You can't live without a pancreas, but you don't get noticed. What if God says, I'm sorry about this, but uh, you are the toenail? But remember this, at the judgment seat of Christ, you will be rewarded as much as the highest profile person in history when you've been faithful in that which is least. And your reward will be equal to Billy Graham. If you're willing to think no more highly than you ought. You see, come to terms with your place in the body of Christ. It's painful to accept the limits he talks about the measure of faith. And this is why I'm preaching on body, mind, ego, Wait For the time God will give you the honor that he wants to give you. Some of you have heard me say this a hundred times. The verse that has governed me, or I should say, I want it to govern me. I'm not sure I've always come up to it. John 5:44. It's my verse for 60 years. How can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? The reason the Jews missed their Messiah is because they wanted the honor of one another. They, it wasn't on their radar screen to want the honor of God. But the, what I would urge, what will enable you to, to TO COPE WITH LITTLE OR NO PROFILE IS TO KNOW THAT YOU WILL GET THE HONOR THAT COMES FROM GOD. STEPHEN WAS STONED AND THEN LOOKED UP AND SAID, I SEE JESUS STANDING AT THE RIGHT HAND OF GOD. IMAGINE THAT. WE'RE TOLD THAT JESUS TOOK HIS SEAT AT THE RIGHT HAND OF GOD. Oh, STEPHEN SAYS, I SEE HIM STANDING, I SEE HIM STANDING. What a way to be welcomed home. Some years ago, I believe it was in New York City, there was a young pianist, a child prodigy, probably around 12 years old. The reputation had leaked out. The next Arthur Rubinstein, who could play Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, Brahms, just a child. And when they announced that he was going to be appearing in Carnegie Hall, sell out in 24 hours. And then the day came when he played. When he finished, the audience in Crescendo rose to their feet and clapped and cheered and clapped and clapped. But the kid would not go back out for a bow. And they kept clapping. They kept clapping. And the, the, the platform manager said, look, you need to go out and take a bow. He said, I won't go. Why aren't you going? You must. They're all standing. He said, not everybody's standing. What do you mean? He looked through the curtain. See the man up in the balcony on the third row at the end? That gray-headed man? Well, who cares about him? Oh, but the child prodigy said, he's my teacher. And when he stands, I'll go out and take a bow. Because that whole time, that kid was playing for an audience of one. And this is the way to get your joy. To know not what people think or how high your profile. It's a living sacrifice. You abandon acclaim and praise because you want the wisdom. And you want your body to bring honor and glory to God. But then you may say, but R.T., you said a while ago that not all are predestined. How do I know what hope there is for me? Oh, I can answer that. I can answer that very quickly. When you hear this gospel that Jesus died on the cross and that you can be saved not by your good works but transferring the trust that you had in good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, And you say, oh, could I do that? Oh, I think you might. Let me ask you this question. Are you thirsty for this? Why do you ask that? Well, because Revelation 22 says, Whosoever will may come, and he that is a thirst, let him come. Are you thirsty? You see, there are people that are not thirsty. They don't care about it. But if you're thirsty, and this appeals to you, you've been chosen. God would not mock you. To prove that you really are thirsty and you want this, I can give you a prayer to pray right now. I'll give you the words. Say them if you mean them in your heart. Just say this prayer right now. You don't need to say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I need you. Tell Him. I want you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash away my sins by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did somebody in this place Pray that prayer in the first service? One, only one. Is there somebody here? You just prayed that prayer. My question is, are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask, R.T.? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, I want you, in the next 15 seconds... To stand up. You say, in front of all these people? Yep, in front of everybody. If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you. Not gonna ask you to make a speech or join this church. Here's one. Here's another. Anyone else? Someone else? Here's another. Here's another. Thank you.